Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me. It's June 3rd as I put this together. This interview took place a couple weeks ago when the pandemic was the biggest thing on everyone's mind. I'm a little late getting this out because Monday didn't seem to be the right time. This may still be the wrong time, but here we go. I was raised to treat everyone the same and think I've been pretty good at that. This week, I'm learning that isn't enough. I'm reading more to learn what else I can do to end racism in this country. I won't pretend to have the answer, I'll just ask that we all be kind to everyone and begin by recognizing we're not all starting in the same place, and probably not even close. My guest today is Hamish McKenzie. He's the founder of Hamish McKenzie Consulting. Hamish, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you very much, Chris. Nice to be here. So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, but we haven't covered it in a long time, and that is positioning. So I, I just think this is fascinating. As you and I were just talking, I think it's just an interesting game to find out where you position yourself. And I'm sure, based on our previous conversation, you've seen lots of mistakes in this area. <laughs> People fail to do it all together. But just to bring everybody up to speed, just describe what it is. Positioning. Well, yeah, it's interesting you asked me that because I, I often start – when I talk about it, I, I talk about what it isn't first. Yeah, all right. Before I, before I, before I tell people what it is. So, because what it isn't is it's not talking about you or your business. It's, it's not talking about your product. Uh, it, it's not even, yeah, in the first instance, necessarily relevant um, to your product um, because nobody cares about your product. All, the, all they care about is what it can do for them, right? And it's also not really about your competitors either and we can positioning really as far as i'm concerned is all about what your prospects and customers think about when they hear the name of your company or the name of your just as a to take an example from a non-life science world i'm a big big car guy one of the best examples of this for me is is volvo volvo is never going to be the biggest car manufacturer in the world it's never going to be the best car manufacturer in the world but in the minds of its prospects and customers, it owns the safe family car space. So when I think about Volvo, I'm thinking maybe a bit of Swedish design, but I'm also thinking um, this thing is built like a, a rock. And if I or my family have an accident in this car, we're going to be fine. So that's the position that Volvo has in my head. And that, when it comes to positioning, is all that matters. And what they've done in by doing that is that, and this is, this is what I always try and tell my Clients, they often come to me and say, you know, we're finding it really hard to differentiate. We can't stand out. You know, company XYZ has got a you know, better feature set than we do. They've got better customers. They've got, you know, whatever it is. And, I, and I, I just tell them, listen, don't look at this from the point of view of your competitors. What you need to do is you need to find a position of one that you can own. You need to create a market of one. And you are, you become untouchable in that space, right? Which is exactly what Volvo have managed to do. It's taken them a long time. But um, and not every company can do it or not everybody, not every company can do it quickly. But that's what you that's what you should be aiming for, in my view. 
So there's a bit of aspiration to it. And when you say don't look at your customers, I mean, first of all, what we're talking about so far is positioning a brand, like the entire Mm. company and and what they stand for. And we can talk maybe later about positioning your products and how you bring those two things together. But... Yeah, you, so you're looking for a position of one, something that is unique to your company. So what is the process you take people through to figure out what is that one unique thing? And then I'm always thinking there may be lots of competitors in the space, and I know you say don't look at the competitors, but how do you find that room in a crowded space to be the unique thing? I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm not saying like ignore your competitors but i but i am saying don't use that as your starting point and don't use that as the as kind of a, a stick to beat yourself with right <laughs> because a lot of a lot of companies do that they they so they take almost a kind of defeatist attitude about it and they just say well you know we can't we can't compete with that and you know we can't do this and we can't do that and i and i say yeah absolutely and, and so stop trying um, and just focus on what what you can do because what what you can do, and this is what I meant at the beginning when I said that positioning has doesn't necessarily have much to do with your product. One of the ways that companies who are in that crowded space, who are in that difficult position and can't differentiate is, is to focus on how they deliver it and, and the experience that they deliver alongside with their product or service, as well as the product or, or service itself. It might be some kind of special technique, or it might just simply be that you're the fastest or it might be that, I mean, well, I would never recommend anybody goes, you know, to, to become the cheapest. <laughs> um, but it could be one of these kind of peripheral aspects, which is nothing to do with your feature set, but nonetheless allows you to, to stand out. <clears throat> yes, I love that. So you've jumped ahead in my, my conversation. Here. I think something that is often overlooked is that an innovation comes about in life science in some ways. You, you have a new product, mm-hmm. a new reagent, new process, whatever. And you, and you have it because it's better in some way than an existing powerful brand. But you overlook yeah. all the other things that go around it because maybe it doesn't sell as well as you think going, well, ours is clearly better. Why is it not outperforming? Or like you say, we have something that doesn't have a better feature set. There's no way we can get ahead. And neither of those things have to be true, right? So... You can focus yeah. on the experience of how you use it. Talk a little bit about some of those examples of of delivery or other success stories you've seen where the whole customer experience is part of the brand. I mean, I've got some examples outside of life science in mind. But. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I've got specific examples, but I've got I've got the the, the kind of approach that that I that I take to it. So and this can be sometimes difficult to to apply to to life sciences. But essentially, it's all about it's about the entire experience, right? So if I take a, another car related example, God, I, I probably shouldn't be doing this, but anyway, I'm going to do it. So I I am a big Formula One fan. Sometimes colleagues of mine will set up a special event for their customers, right? And so they will invite them to a race which is great in itself, but it's only one part of the experience. So what they do a few months before that is to start sending, so let's say the race is in Monaco, right? So they, they start sending um, 
their customers information about the history of the race in Monaco. Then a couple of weeks later, they'll send some literature around the, the race itself. Then they'll send a food basket full of typical Monegasque cuisine, you know, whatever the wines and, and, and foods, whatever. And so step by step, they, they're, they're kind of building momentum, building expectation around the whole experience, right? And then during the event itself, they will dot lots of little surprises through the event. So they have a great time. And then afterwards, they'll be sending them photo books of, of, of everything that happened and various other mementos. So it's about building an entire experience around whatever your product or service is. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm somewhat of a Formula One fan. I'm actually an IndyCar fan, number one. Okay. <laughs> but really I often think about it just in, in this, I'm going to go completely off topic here. So just positioning of different race circuits, not, not the tracks, mm. but Formula One versus IndyCar versus NASCAR. Yeah. The, they are all positioned completely differently, right? They are. Yeah, and so I'm always fascinated by that. Like NASCAR is all about, you know, getting rough and rivalry and kind of the conflict. IndyCar is very much cooperative. I mean, they race hard against each other, of course, but they give you the impression that all the drivers are buddies. And I think a lot, and I know a lot of them are. And then Formula One obviously is the high end, lots of money, <laughs> lots of bling, whatever you want to say. They all have their own market that they're aiming for and they all own pretty well. And I think about, you know, I think about airlines, I'm a big Southwest fan because of that experience. I mean, some people hate it, like the lining up and all that. <laughs> I like it because it's, when I look for tickets, it's easy to get exactly what I want going each way instead of having to sort through bundles of combinations. And then I pay for an upgrade so that I get early boarding. I always get a seat I want, and it's just simple. So a lot of times when you are when you see positioning exercises, you see sort of a two-axis matrix. And I'm always wondering, like, how do you decide what put, to put on those two axes and where to map your competitors yeah. and look for the open area that you could own? Is that yeah. a so logical way to go about it? It, it is, yeah. And I'm glad you came back to this because you asked me about how I go through the process before and I didn't answer. So let's just talk about that one first. I think it, it, it is, to a certain extent, industry dependent and, and problem dependent. So one, but I'll just give you an example of one I like to use, which basically has customization or a, the terminology changes a bit depending on exactly the situation, but customization or personalization on one axis and execution on the other. So for example, if, you're, if you have a high degree of ability to personalize or customize whatever it is you're delivering and you're great at executing, then that's where you wanna be. So that's gonna be on the top right of your, of your double axis chart, right? If you can't, if you have a, a large degree of personalization and, and um, customization, but you can't execute, then you're kind of an empty promise, right? So that's how that would be the, the bottom left. And so that's how, in that circumstance, that's how I, you know, that's how I, how I do it with, with companies like that, where it's appropriate is not always appropriate. So the first, the very first thing I do whenever I'm talking about to a client about positioning is I ask them where they think, where they, where they think they're positioned in their market. Right. And then I ask them, and how do you think your customers think you're positioned? And I would say probably half the time they say, uh, well, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
and the other and about a quarter of the time they say oh we're pretty sure we've done our research we're pretty sure that they think um the same the same as we do and then another quarter of the time they they know there's a mismatch but they haven't done anything about it so so that's 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 really the first thing that i get them to ask themselves the second thing i ask them um, is okay and and what do you think or have you checked internally what your own employees, particularly your salespeople, think your positioning is and what your value proposition is. Because what often, and often the answer is again, well, I'm pretty sure they know, but no, have I checked recently? No. So then I ask them, okay, well, please go and ask three of your best salespeople what they think your value proposition is or where they think you're positioned in the market. And quite often they come back with three different answers. And then <laughs> the, the, the really bad situation is when they come back with conflicting answers. And that's when I usually say to them, listen, this is, this is a really big problem and we need to get it sorted out. So for me, even though um, positioning is not really about your, necessarily about your product, as we talked about before, it is very much about how you're communicating it to the outside world, whether that's consistent and whether what you think your positioning is, is actually being reflected in your customers' heads. Right, because if they don't believe it, or that's not what they're expecting to hear, that, that's gonna be, it's going to be a hard sell. One problem is that they understand what you want your positioning to be, but they just don't believe it, like you said, so it's just not credible. Another problem might be that the, the, the company in question is trying to position itself in one way, like, for example, they're the fastest provider of, of antibody testing or, or, or whatever, whatever the service happens to be, um, but that's not coming over to the client. And... To the, to the audience rather to the customer and that had a very an example of exactly that recently i was talking to a company and they told me that their main advantage was speed and i had a look at their marketing and, and i said well i don't see this anywhere <laughs> i literally nowhere uh, there's nowhere i mean it's probably buried in in some data sheet you know five levels down within the website but you know if that's your core competitive advantage then that is the position you need to own and it needs to be everywhere in your marketing and it just wasn't so and that and that's unfortunately the, the case in a lot of in a lot of life science companies but a lot of other companies as well so if you can without you know obviously you don't want to give away who we're talking about here how did that happen what was the alternative what was the messaging <laughs> around if it wasn't around their competitive advantage it was i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you exactly what the headline yeah. was because then everybody will be able to find out sure. who the company is and i don't know i don't want to i don't want that to happen but but it, it was essentially around the details of the technology right yes. so instead of instead of focusing on on the outcome for the customer which is speed um of and I, I forget now the exact nature of, of of the service that they were providing, but but it was all about speed, right? That was the big advantage they had, and that was the customer outcome. But they were focused on their product, and I get it, right? Like all, most life science biotech companies, they're they're run by very clever people, who have usually invented something pretty amazing, often anyway. And it's it's understandable that they're obsessed with it, and they're they're proud of it, and they want everybody to know that it's great and why it's great, but what you need to understand from a positioning perspective also is that you have a lot of different audiences to hit and not all of them are going to be scientists. So if you're trying, if you're a startup, for example, a life science startup and you're trying to get investment, you don't want to go to an investor pitch and start and give them a, you know, a two hour lecture on the, on the details of your technology. Um, you want, you want to lead with 
a very simple message about the customer outcome and why this is going to make the investor their money back and more. And you'd be surprised how often that doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you comes back to what we mentioned at the beginning about having a new technology. Now I'm thinking, all right, so a company has created a new technology that is better at something, in this case, speed. And then how is it that that company gets so focused on the technology, I'd say, well, why did you make this thing, right? I mean, what was the problem you were trying to solve? Oh, we wanted it to be faster. Done, right? <laughs> but, but obviously it's not that simple because I think this happens over and over again with companies that get wrapped up in the technology or they develop something that's better in a way that nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that also happens. Yeah, and they, they get, they get, they start, they focus on the reasons why it's faster. So, so in, in that example, I can pretty, pretty sure that what, what happened was, you know, they, they did set up to solve that problem, the one of speed, but then they just got caught up in all the fantastic things that they've done in order to make that speed possible. And that's what they focused on in their messaging, and, which is fine. I mean, you need that stuff as backup for your positioning once you've established that you are the speed guys. But right. the first and primary message that it must be so obvious that, that nobody can possibly mistake it is that this is the big benefit. You know, if you need whatever it is done faster than you can get it done anywhere else, and that's important for you, then that's the message that has to be at the forefront of everything. And that's the position that you need to own. So I'm... Curious, I'm going to come back to this because uh, this, again, is how many positions there can be. So finding that open space, like in a crowded market, because they're clearly mm -hmm. in our industry in life science, lots of companies that make antibodies. There are lots of companies that make mass spectrometers. There are lots of companies that sell reagents and so on. Obviously, there's always a dominant player in whatever area you choose and maybe a second place player. But there's still, apparently, room for many more. And how do those many more find their place? You kind of talked about this at the beginning. It's, it's all the things around the delivery. But can you name some more areas or be specific about different positions that can be owned that people should be thinking about? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because it's very industry specific and it's, it's very situation specific. So, you know, in some markets, <clears throat> excuse me, in some markets, speed won't be relevant at all or will be much less relevant. Um, obviously, it helps if you have some kind of unique aspect to your technology, as long as you don't lead with it, then ensuring that the outcome of that unique aspect um, comes out in the forefront of the positioning, then, then that will help as long as you can really say that it is. But I find that in almost every every area of life not just and not any industry not just life sciences but promises and quality reality either in terms of product or service is very rarely match up at least 100 percent. and to be and to be able to i'll tell you what what really helps companies set themselves apart is to really be able to shock people in terms of how well they execute so like i was talking before about the the, the double X's chart and execution and how important that is. Execution is so average in so many from so many companies that we've almost come to accept it and, and um, tolerate it. If you can really blow people away with some aspect of your service 
whatever that is, whether that's the quality of the consulting that happens before you buy, whether it's the after sales service, once you're already a customer, because that's another common mistake that people make, sale is done, move on to the next one, right? And then the existing customer is sitting there thinking, well, hang on a minute. Um, <laughs> Where's all the amazing after-sale support that you promised me? So actually, execution, brilliant execution is, is one of the best differentiators you can have, and it's surprisingly rare. Yeah, I love that. That's the punchline for this whole episode, right? I, mean, I think because, as you say, it's, it's rare, and so that's a wide-open field often that people aren't looking at. Just be good at what you said you were going to do. And it's, it, it's so obvious, right? I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, especially in the life science area, you know, these companies, uh, my clients and, and, and your clients and, you know, all these companies, they're run by incredibly bright people. But what often happens with, with incredibly bright people is that they overlook the obvious. And sometimes it takes a much less intelligent person like me <laughs> to look at it from the outside to see what they're missing. And that's, and that's also, because people often ask me, um, you know, why, why are you focused on life science? And then there's a few reasons for that, but you know, because you're not a scientist, so why, 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 are, you, why are you here? And one of the reasons is exactly, is exactly that, because I think what a lot of my clients appreciate about me is the fact that I look at it with a completely fresh pair of eyes, a non-expert pair of eyes, and so I see what they're missing, especially when it comes to things, talk, talking to, to investors and people of, or, or just, um, you know, journalists or, or whoever, any, any kind of interested stakeholder who is not a specialist. You need to be able to make whatever the, 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 the key advantage of your offering is, you need, need to be able to make it understandable to, to a non-scientific audience as well. It may not be the most important thing, but it's certainly something that, that you need to do in all sorts of different situations. Yeah, I love that. I want to ask about, like, do you think there's a, such a thing as a luxury brand in life science? And the reason I ask this is because way back when, before I went out on my own, I was the marketing director for mass spectrometry at Thermo. And they had the Orbit Trap, which I think still is. I mean, people would generally agree this is the most powerful mass spectrometer you can put on a bench. If I'm wrong, email me, let me know. But there was an aspect of it that wasn't just this is the most powerful, but it, there was an aspiration to owning it. Like, like it said something about you more, okay. more than what it could do. Like, it was all about look at who's using this. Because, you know, a lot of very famous people who are good in their field had one, and they're very expensive. And then it's, I, it felt to me like some of the marketing was around, well, those guys have one. You should want to have one too. And, but it's not for everybody. So I don't know. I'm just asking. It still fascinates me. Yeah, on, honestly, I don't, I don't think I have any examples that I can think of. But it's a very interesting concept, thinking of how do you apply that kind of almost like envy, well, it's not, yeah, envy marketing is the wrong term, right? But, but it, it's like, yeah, how, how, do you, how do you bring that kind of desire aspect, you know, almost, almost the same kind of desire and, and obsession that people have with Apple products, for example, or with... Um, exactly. Or like, like, I don't know, in cars, maybe Bentleys or, or Ferraris or, you know, how do you, and this is a very interesting concept. It's not one that I've actually come across yet, but... I would argue that there is pro if if it's not something that many people are doing, then there's per there's probably a gap in in certain life science markets for exactly that kind of approach. Yeah, you have a really high end, super powerful thing. Not everybody yeah. can afford one, and 
Certainly not everybody needs one. It just, it continues to fascinate me. I still think about it all the time. Obviously, here we are, you know, nine years later and I'm still talking about it. So what else do people need to know about positioning? Anything I left out? One thing I would like to mention, which is it's not, it's, it's not hundred percent positioning specific, but it's definitely related. I mentioned it before as well, in terms of value propositions and things like that. And this is particularly relevant for, for, for startups, perhaps is that, is that entire word proposition next to value and also pitching and things like elevator pitches. Now. I'm not going to tell you not to do, not to create these kind of things, because what you know, the, the logical next step once you know your positioning is to start creating messaging and value propositions around it, right? And and then the first thing people tell you to do is is create an elevator elevator pitch, and it's it's not pointless. But I don't know about you, I don't know anybody who's ever successfully sold a very complex product in a thirty second conversation in a in an elevator. So and I also think that there's a lot of uh, startups who, who, who waste a lot of time and effort creating pitches and going into the pitches and literally pitching at people, talking at them for like an hour and then starting to get into the details of the technology, right? And what I like to talk about instead of these things like propositions and pitches is conversations. So once you've got your positioning done, then instead of creating a value proposition and a pitch, create a value conversation. So literally think through get someone to literally play the role of a customer and they're going to ask you questions and you're going to answer them, but ask the questions from the customer's perspective. And if you develop a conversation like that, and if you treat every pitch meeting like a conversation and not a, I'm pitching to you or at you, but I'm at, instead you're having a conversation with you, then this changes the whole dynamic in a pitch situation and it changes the whole dynamic of your messaging. So I guess that's one step beyond positioning in a way. But I think it's, it's, you know, when we're talking about this and, and, and perhaps, you know, things, mistakes that, that companies make and, and ways they can do it better, if you manage to, especially if you manage to establish that positioning we were talking about before, where, where you're really kind of owning a, a specific position, then if you can make your messaging more of a, more conversational and more oriented towards the customer in the way I just described, then, then that is also very powerful. Yeah, and I think it's just, you know, smart marketing. You're going to learn something based on that conversation. Whereas, given the straight up pitch, you know, they might say no and you never learn anything about <laughs> about what it was they were really looking for. So, Hamish McKenzie, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you enlightening us on positioning today. I will put a link to your website in the show notes. Any anything else? we can uh, point to that people would be interested in? I will say that I'm um, in the process of producing a, an ebook on positioning for life science and biotech companies specifically. It will probably be up in the next uh, week or two. So yeah, if it's not there, when you, if you do decide to check out my website and it's not there yet, then please come back and check in a, check in, uh, a couple of weeks later. That will make some, a, a lot of what I've been talking about a bit more specific to, to your situation. And yeah, there won't, won't be any Volvo examples in there. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Well, this episode should come out in about two weeks, so that should work out well. Okay. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Chris. I enjoyed it. My pleasure. Hamish published that ebook on LinkedIn this week. I will put the link, or I have put the link, in the show notes. There may be a gap in the schedule for this podcast as I don't have my next guest lined up yet. I'm always open to suggestions. 
email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. Take care, everyone. Thank you.